thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Wonderful listeners, welcome back to Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And thanks for joining us again this week. We've uh, been excited to get back into the recording seat. We sort of get uh, a little bit of feedback now that we're back online. So excited to share new episodes with you. Uh, We've done a lot of thinking and just having a look at the direction we're going to take things now that uh, I'm a new mum and I'm (laughs) struggling with some recording time. But we want to hit the big topics hard and fast. And really, uh, over the next few weeks and months, we're going to get into some of the key things that you've had the most complaints with, the most feedback we've had online, the most emails we've had things about so that we can answer exactly what it is that you want. And this episode today is exactly one of those. Andrew, what are we going to chat about? Uh, well, if you tuned in a few episodes ago, you might have heard me talking about um, like a really funny conversation that I overheard um, that, you know, really disrupted my brekkie, like how rude is that, um, a few <laughs> weeks ago. And that was um, sitting in a cafe, someone sitting close by saying how dangerous it is to avoid gluten if you're not a celiac. And they were, you know, completely <laughs> zealot in their argument and very, very passionate about, but also quite misguided in a few things as well. Um, And since then, there's been some very interesting research that sort of popped up um, quite recently about the quote-unquote dangers of a gluten-free diet if you're not a celiac. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at that research, we're going to debunk a few myths, and we're going to talk about whether or not it's actually safe to avoid gluten. Well, did you nearly want to jump across that uh, that breakfast table and have a have a little chat to them and say, "Hey, by the way, <laughs> did you know?" <laughs> oh, you know what? Sometimes you can't speak reason with someone who is a bit of a zealot. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. sure you've met those people who are um, they're on their soapbox and they're so passionate about what they're talking about. And it was quite clear that this person didn't come from a health background either. Um, and I'm sure we've all got friends like this and I'm sure I've been guilty of it as well. Like you kind of get onto a topic or a conspiracy and then you sort of <laughs> go with um, it. <laughs> yeah, you sort of roll with that just for the sake of having opinion and tell every single Um, person you meet everywhere in every setting that this is exactly how it is yeah absolutely and you must well look if nothing else it was interesting observation to sit there overhear things and form your own thoughts and opinions on that which is how we got to this episode today totally and if nothing else it just annoyed me with my quality time with my dog at brekkie so (laughs) but anyway hey that's your um, stuff just remember (laughs) you've only the only one that's got control over your stuff so yeah, I you know, should have put your totally. headphones on and had a chat to your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is part of that uh, kind of getting that system out of my brain, right? And yeah. Going, okay, so let's uh, let's get some of that out. All right. Um, so, Ash, tell me what the research has been lately that's just come out that we're going to talk about. Well, look, if you have heard of this and you, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally heard that. My friend told me or I just read that recently. Um, throughout the month of May, I noticed a lot of the major publishers were bouncing around this particular topic because some research came out and it was in the independent um, West Australia newspapers. Um, There was all of these ones from UK, Daily Mail. And I just thought, hey, that's interesting that every single major newspaper has jumped on this. Also, because it's a little bit contradictory. It's a little bit of a a, against the grain. So it's not a pun intended, but (laughs) (laughs) against the 
flow of information that's coming um, about gluten-free diets where everyone's saying, it's good, it's good, go gluten-free. And they're saying, well, ha-ha, we, we actually found some stuff that says it's not. Um, so really what it came down to is that the long story short, they have published some papers that say gluten-free diets can do more harm than good for people without celiac disease. And um, that was really kind of like, oh, okay, wonder why they studied that in that way. And to explain it, it, I guess, quite quickly is that when they got people to consume gluten, it increased certain markers that activated their immune system. And they said, but that's a good thing because, you know, that can potentially um, activate our immune system in a way that's going to help fight and combat other uh, disease states or Mm -hmm. other markers within the body that need mopping up, such as, you know, tumor cells and all that sort of stuff. Um, what the study fails to do and the challenge I have with it is, is it's not a long-term study. So therefore they don't say, well, okay, so we activate those immune response factors, um, but for how long? And mm. how long is it good to keep them activated? Uh, so does that pose a, a health problem long-term? But the first initial findings were that it activated and that's a good thing according to these scientists. So they're saying, well, if you, you know, if you have a bit of grain and it activates that, then that's a good thing because it could protect you from more dangerous uh, health conditions. And but that's such an assumption, isn't it? And mm. I think one thing that you always have to remember when you're reading scientific literature is that causation or or sorry correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation um and yes they've found a response to that stimulus but exactly what you said what's the flow and effect to that and were there other negative things that they also weren't measuring within that framework as well were they only looking at one individual marker within that study um so what we tend to do is we cherry pick research so we find research that we will support our, our own argument and we're all guilty of doing this um, and then we will look for a conclusion and then extrapolate that into what we're assuming is applicable to everybody. Um, and the key arguments that have come up against, say, a gluten-free diet is that people who avoid gluten are lacking key nutrients. They're not getting enough fiber. It's dangerous for their system because um, it means it's also bad for their gut uh, and we'll go into that in a bit later. And they also have found that people who are on a gluten-free diet have higher amounts of arsenic or are at risk of arsenic poisoning. So these are some pretty serious health claims that they're making as well. Um, but a lot of these are actually myths. And I want you to understand as well that correlation doesn't equal causation. <laughs> And we're going to talk through some of these things now. Yeah, and look, I really love because um, BMJ, the British Medical Journal, they have talked about how, um, you know, quote, concern has arisen in the medical community and lay public that gluten may increase the risk of obesity, metabolic syndrome, neuropsychiatric symptoms and cardiovascular risk among healthy people. Um, And as a result, diets that limit gluten intake have gained popularity. So, I mean, just in the States, they were saying that 30% of adults claim to have cut down or actively avoiding certain foods. And then you go down further and the punchline is global sales of gluten-free food has risen by 12.6% last year. So then the question is who's missing out and who's gaining in all of this? Um, Does it really come down to the bottom dollar compared to human health? Because we know you don't have to be a celiac to have problems with gluten. And they've only talked about celiacs, uh, celiac disease. And it's like, well, hang on. What about all those people who possibly are gluten-sensitive? who are still going yeah. to have some sort of negative symptomatic response to ingesting gluten, which if you're listening to this, you may be curious as to whether that's you or you might even say, well, hey, hell, I do and I'm not considered a celiac. So, you know, how can they possibly say that this is uh, this is safe to 
add gluten back into the diet because you have to have it because you need it because you're missing out on vital nutrients. Uh, exactly. And I read a report that gluten-free product sales um, last year alone was $9 billion. And I think that that was just for the US. Whoa. Um, so, get, of course, get me that... On that. We need a gluten-free product, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you can see that, uh, you know, when things are changing like that, there's going to be people who are financially involved in that argument. Um, so, obviously, you know, the agricultural or the, or the wheat industry are going to have a problem with that, understandably. Mm. Um, okay. So, the first thing let's look at is that people who are are avoiding gluten are lacking key nutrients. And I find this really interesting because the U.S. Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee stated that the U.S. population, and I I know that I don't have like a worldwide scope for this, but, you know, I I guess the U.S. population is is what we'll base this on right now, is currently not meeting its daily requirement for whole grain intake. Mm. So I find that really interesting and and also (laughs) kind of hard to swallow. So yeah, the dietary... Who set the guideline and who, who said how much we need? Exactly. So it's saying that the advisory committee is saying that they're not meeting their daily requirements for whole grain intake, mm-hmm. um, which means that they're stating that the population is going to be lacking iron, calcium, thiamine, riboflavin, niacin, and folate. So those are the key nutrients that they're saying that people will be um, deficient in when their diet is lower in uh, glutinous grains. Um, Now, this is kind of funny because a lot of these things don't actually occur naturally in glutinous products. And a lot of the cereals that they're claiming that people should be consuming or the breads as well are actually fortified with these things to bulk them out with it, to say that it has a greater nutrient content than what it would occur naturally anyway. So Andy, for our listeners, what does fortified mean? What, how do you get to a fortified food? Oh, well, essentially like it's a, it's a chemical process where they are adding things into it. So, so they stripped not- out the good stuff in the processing process and then by yeah. the time they get to the end, towards the end product, they then dump in some synthetics back in there to fortify the cereals. Is that correct? Exactly. So they're yeah. adding it back in as part of that uh, like processing process, which is just crazy. So this um, is our Frankenfoods. I mean, this is this is where we start yeah. to get into chemical science rather than whole foods, you know, nutritional foods. We're now starting to play with food scientifically. Listeners, do you think that sounds like a good deal for your health? Because um, this is the challenge I have when people say, oh, yeah, but you, kids have to have, you know, cereal for breakfast. My question is, do they? And sometimes we're met with a blank stare. People are like, what, huh? I mean, what are you talking about? I've seen the ads on TV, niacin and riboflavin in Nutrigain. <laughs> it's, you know, the, the percentage dietary intake for kids. And you think, oh, really? Okay, that's um, some great marketing brainwashing going on right there. <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. It's marketing. It's big business. And, mm. you know, for example, iron that is found in cereals, cereals are not typically high in iron. And the only way that it has been, that it happens is when they, in fact, fortify it with iron like what we just talked about and so better sources of iron that occur naturally come from things like red meat your pork and poultry seafood beans peas and all your dark leafy greens as well these are naturally occurring sources of iron um, that have higher iron contents than those cereals and grains that's not going to have potential pro-inflammatory effects on your system Um, there's actually a really interesting post and i'll put this link online that comes from the scientific american showing you how in detail how you can actually pull your iron shalings from your breakfast cereal. 
crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> but so, the good thing is that you've just mentioned those um, foods that you've just listed out too, Andy, is that regardless of whether you're vegan, freegan, vegetarian, um, you know, raw foodie, it doesn't matter because there's still plant-based sources of iron. So this this notion we need it from grains or we need it from meat um, is incorrect. That's basically the summary of all of this is that if you yeah. hear that you're missing out on key nutrients such as iron because you don't have grains, that is incorrect. Absolutely. And then if we look at calcium, again, grains and cereals and those sorts of things are not naturally high in calcium. Um, the highest sources, and this is also in order of highest calcium content, comes from things like raw milk, kale, leafy greens, sardines, um, salmon with the bones as well, um, your yogurt or your kefir, uh, broccoli, watercress, bok choy, almonds, okra, and that is in order of highest um, calcium content and nowhere in there do you see any wheat or or grain-based products um, and then the list goes on so if you go down to things like um, your thiamine or which is your vitamin b1 again highest things are your beef liver nuts pork seeds eggs that kind of stuff and again only if the cereals your rice or your pasta is actually fortified with b1 does it actually contain those vitamins and it's similar to for your riboflavin or your b2 your niacin your b3 and your folate which is b b9 um i will certainly put this list of foods online so you can actually have a look at them and say okay well if i'm going to avoid wheat and i'm concerned about you know my potential nutrient um, deficiency these are some other sources and there's much more naturally occurring sources of these things that you can easily have in a very well-balanced diet. It's so funny because I like to, like we were talking about these foods and I actually like to call them products because that's exactly what they are. They're, they're the outcome of a process. So they're not even a food necessarily. I, I call them a product. So these products are, are certainly not the healthiest option. So I think what you can take away from that is that if you're concerned that you're missing out on key nutrients, just remember there are so many natural sources of those nutrients in unprocessed traditional foods that don't require you to go and buy a box that has a big fancy label on it that says fortified with or added niacin, added rioflavin, added calcium, okay? So you're not missing out if you're consuming a whole foods, real foods diet. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing that I just want to say is that there's – a way that your body uses the nutrients as well. And we look at certain foods, we look at the bioavailability of the nutrients that they have that they naturally contain. So essentially how our body can actually go through and, and use all of that. And there's a really interesting book that's come out recently called The Plant Paradox. Um, it's written by a guy named Dr. Stephen Gundry, and I am definitely going to get him on the show because he's fascinating. He was a chairman of uh, the, some cardiothoracic surgery in a very prestigious medical center in the US. And essentially in his book, he describes grain products, so particularly the glutinous grains and the lectins they contain as being the thing that actually helps to protect protect them from being digested. So these grains in um, or these products in, in wheat and gluten and those sorts of things actually have been anti-nutrients and we've considered them anti-nutrients for such a long time. And the bioavailability of the stuff that comes from that is very, very low because of how our body has to try and digest that. Um, and the same goes for the, the phytochemicals such as the polyphenols or the phytic acid that's in certain cereal grains, which is also the same tannin that you get in teas and things like that. So those things Things can absolutely dramatically impact the nutrient absorption and limit the bioavailability of those nutrients. 
So just because it says this grain has X amount of, you know, B1 or whatever it is, it doesn't mean that your body can actually utilize that. Yeah, and I think um, if you want to know more about this, really important. You've just heard um, Andrew talk about, you know, different books. There's a pile of different references and resources I think that it's worth taking note of or listening to or grabbing an audio book or something like that just to expand this idea because we're just busting myths today. But I think if you understand the science behind it, the history, the background, it becomes much easier to make an informed choice as to whether you agree with us or whether you think we're full of crap. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I'd rather you you use that information because then you're, you're formulating your ideas and impressions based on some phenomenal research. Um, you know, look up sort of authors like uh, Dr. David Perlmutter with Grain Brain, mm-hmm. um, Dr. David, uh, Dr. William Davis, sorry, with Wheat Belly. Uh, you've got Dr. Peter Osborne with No Grain, No Pain. That's interesting, looking at inflammatory stuff. And, of course, the gorgeous Cindy O'Meara with her What's With Wheat documentary. So just if you're curious and you want to know more and you're wondering why we're talking about this, if you haven't listened to our What's With Wheat episodes or our previous episodes on gluten, then there's, there's a background, there's some reference for you awesome all right so what's the next myth um, we're gonna bust okay let's talk about the the fact that there's you'll be missing fiber which also kind of ties into the this is the reason why they say it's bad for the gut so and the reason this argument was put forward is because um things that are really good for your gut and your gut microbiome is fermentable fibers and yes wheat and wheat flour are high in fiber if you look at it that way so if you look at it in a very sort of reductionistic manner then you can say yes if you stop eating wheat then you'll you won't be consuming as much fiber particularly if you're not swapping it out for something that's beneficial and then you're not feeding your good bugs in your gut as much so following gluten-free diet may potentially cause a decrease in the amount of beneficial bacteria in the gut in particular they're talking about biobifidum bacterium uh, sorry, biobifidobacterium and the lactobacillus um, strains as well, which can negatively impact the immune system. And I think that's how they extrapolated the, well, if you have this, it registers these, you know, sort of immune responses. And I think that one of the reasons this argument comes up is because one of the simplest swaps that people usually do when they take out wheat is they replace it with rice products or rice flours. And if you look at per gram or or per cup fiber content, rice has about 66% less fiber per cup than what wheat does. So again, in that very reductionistic manner, if you decrease the fiber intake, then you're not feeding your beneficial bacteria as much. So if you simply swap out gluten products for gluten-free products that are not, you know, necessarily healthful, then sure, you may not be feeding your, your good bugs as well as what you could be. Where if someone was to substitute that fiber from wheat with things like, you know, sweet potatoes um, or all your good starchy tubers, even things like plantains or your whole fruits, your non-starchy veggies, you're absolutely going to be getting your really good fermentable fiber intake from any of those sources. Yeah, 100%. And look, that's um, in I guess, an incredible contrast to the majority of the research because the majority of the research says that, you know, grains do contribute to increasing chronic inflammation and autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. So, both, exactly. you know, both in vitro and in vivo studies, meaning, you know, lab-based and human-based studies are showing that gliadin, which is um, within the, the weed, it increases intestinal permeability and activates the immune system. So, is it a good thing to increase intestinal permeability? We've talked about this before. We, this is something classically uh, we can term leaky gut syndrome or the leaky gut. Um, and we know the leaky gut issue is causing 
people horrendous myriad of health problems because it's increasing the uh, inflammation within their body, which is triggering off brain, gut, body, systemic immune stuff. Um, I think it's so easy, like you said, reductionistic to close the 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 blinkers there and say, we're looking for this outcome, that's what it's proved and that's all it is because that would assume the body is just a very simple linear system and one thing leads to another leads to another. But we know it's not. It's a, an ecosystem where 90% bacteria and they've got a lot more DNA of bacteria than we do of human back, of human DNA. So mm-hmm. I think the key there is to realise that um, we can't be reductionist when it comes to nutrition. Um, this is one of the most amazing things because as you can tell, I'm probably sure just within your own family and friends, certain foods do not respond well with all people. So you need to learn your body, your body type, what it absorbs well, what doesn't absorb well. Um, and regardless of whether, you know, for example, grains will give you that fermentable fiber or not, if it's not sitting well with your body, don't consume it. Don't keep pushing it in there just because there's some studies that have come out to say that everybody needs it. This is really good. And unless you're a celiac, you, you should, you must consume grains again. Um, there's certainly some benefits. If you've got to consume grains, we often will hear about things like sprouting as well, just to help mm-hmm. reduce some of the toxic component of the grain. But um, other than that, I'd say if, if your body is reacting negatively, why would you put it in there? Yeah, totally. And I think that also comes, um, it brings that argument into play that there's the one size fit all type medicine or health approach for everybody. And I think that that's what this study really, um, it doesn't really answer those things very well. And I think it also shows that the testing for celiac disease or for gluten sensitivity is so, so poor and very insensitive. Um, but, you know, that's that's definitely a topic for another day. Um, okay, so let's now talk about um, the arsenic poisoning or, or the higher amounts of arsenic. So there, there has been a recent study that found that kids on a gluten-free diet, um, and, of course, when you do a study on kids, it's very emotive. Um, so, you know, saying that kids are going to have high levels of arsenic, of course, is going to raise eyebrows and um, concern all sorts of people. Um, But it said that kids on a gluten-free diet had higher levels of arsenic in their blood. And this was shown as being part of, you know, the dangers of, you know, quote, unquote, the quote, unquote, dangers of a gluten-free diet. Um, And again, the most common swap from gluten um, to a gluten-free diet is, again, rice. So rice products, rice flour, all of those sorts of things. So people generally go from wheat to rice. And, yes, rice has been shown to have higher arsenic levels, um, particularly um, uh, brown rice and rice milk, and particularly any rice that originates from India for some reason shows to have higher arsenic levels, whereas white rice, particularly from the US, um, is fairly clean, uh, which is pretty interesting. So, yes, if you just do a complete swap out, you may be seeing higher levels of arsenic in your blood. Um, but again, if you're not just going down the rice road, then that's not going to be an issue for you. Let's also talk because while we're on the the idea of you know toxicity within the grains um, across the board, when grains are produced and grown, they're high use of herbicides and pesticides. Okay, so 
The other major problem is that although you can't see it, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, there's a cumulative effect of having a lot of uh, foods that have come from sources that are non-organic, which is a majority of grains to mm-hmm. be really direct with you. Uh, you know, the vast majority on the market is is non-organic. Therefore, it has been treated with herbicides, pesticides, um, you know, antifungals, antimicrobials, all these things so that they can get it to the shelf without having to toss it before it gets there. Um, so, you know, you might be concerned about arsenic, but high levels of grains could be exposing you to any number of other sorts of problems, um, increased issues with uh, xenoestrogens through all of these herbicides, Mm -hmm. pesticides. So it's, um, yeah, again, this issue of reductionism to say that, you know, just one mineral means that you should or one, you know, poison or one toxin means you should eliminate the whole lot or you should add everything back in. It's so confusing. So, yeah, understandably, people don't know what to choose. Um, And then let's talk about the idea that if you do substitute, because you're mentioning switching a lot of products to Mm -hmm. rice, I can tell you from past experience, I've been a bad vegetarian, okay, um, because I was vegetarian, but I was just dumping in, you know, high carbohydrates. I was less healthy being vegetarian at one point before I realized the mistakes I was making than I ever was. So, you know, just like this, you can be a really bad gluten freer as well, because you could just be subbing in all of these things for basically franken food junk foods. And unless you're turning packets over and having a look at what's on the back, that big label on the front of the box saying gluten-free does not make it healthy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's one of Damien Christoph's favorite quotes where he says, just because it's gluten-free doesn't mean it's healthy. Um, oh, you know, the, I, maybe really I got it from him, <laughs> but I can tell you that that's one of my my quotes because, it, yeah, because just because something says it's gluten-free or it's dairy-free or it's it's this or it's that or it's that, it doesn't make it healthy. You have to turn the packet over. You have to look at the ingredients because it might be gluten-free, but it could be full of trans fats, artificial sugars and sweeteners, um, any number of scenarios there with regards to what other crap could be in there and, you know, anything with weird numbers and letters that you don't understand just because it's gluten-free doesn't mean that those weird numbers and letters have less effect on you well exactly and a lot of the time to make something be as palatable as what it was um you know in its original form so with the original recipe with say wheat or wheat flour um they've got to do a lot to that. They've got to manipulate things a lot to make it taste the same because our palate is so used to one particular thing. So is it any wonder that the gluten-free products made up, you know, the 9 billion in sales? Like it's yeah. just, it's crazy. And if you think about just those timeless health principles, if it comes in a packet, if it, you know, it comes to the the fact that you've actually got to turn it over to read the label, then really should you be even looking at that in the first place? And I completely understand, and I know this from personal experience, particularly when my little sister Joanna was diagnosed as a celiac, you know, 20 or so years ago when we didn't have any of the resources or information that we did um, back then as what we have now, we, you know, you could get sort of gluten-free bread that was like a brick, but as soon as you cut through it, it, it totally crumbled. So, there was nowhere near the same amount of stuff available. And I know that parents are doing the best that they can, um, particularly if they're trying to make more healthful choices. And at face value, it might seem like, oh, it's okay. I'm going to give her this because it's gluten-free. It might seem like a more healthful choice um, and might be a little bit more convenient. But again, like just those timeless health principles, if it's in a packet, if it's got a whole bunch of crap in it that you don't recognize, then it may not be the best choice for you anyway. Oh, look, I really felt for my gorgeous patient. She was, um, you know, sort of complaining, I guess, and, and venting her frustration that she just couldn't lose weight and she'd been gluten-free for like six months. And if anything, she was uh, 
not well not just not losing weight she felt like she was gaining weight based on the scales and muscle mass index so um and she was just like exasperated going but i've gone gluten-free i've cut out everything and um it was really interesting just having a chat i said so what do you do like what what sort of things she would still make her family cakes and things she'd still consume the cakes it's just the gluten-free cakes um she'd still buy biscuits and make biscuits they were still gluten-free biscuits and um, you know, I had to sort of say to her, look, it's not the fact that it's gluten-free that makes it healthy. It's the fact that, unfortunately, you're still going to have sugar-loaded, flour-filled uh, foods, and they are probably the number one reason that we're sick and fat. So until mm-hmm. you cut back on the sugars and the flours, regardless if the flour sounds healthy, like, you know, things like brown rice flour and quinoa flour sound super healthy, don't they? Oh, yeah, unless you've got a massive problem with quinoa like what well, I do. But- well, yes, but to, to, to yes. most people, that, and yeah. they, they think, oh, that's a great substitute. So, listeners, don't be fooled. Don't think that just because it's gluten-free or the flour is gluten-free flour that it makes it necessarily better. You know, if you're serious about your health, you're serious about, you know, good body weight maintenance and, you know, good body health, then flour is flour. Where it comes from is really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, what you add with the flour, the fats and the sugars and all those sorts of things are still going to make that product junk food. And you can't have gluten-free junk food. It's still junk food. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a really good place to sort of give a bit of a summation. So in summary, if you are consuming a diet that is rich and, you know, you've got really good variety, as much variety as you can with lots of really good quality veggies, so your non-starchy veggies as well as, you know, potentially your starchy veggies, your starchy tubers, um, looking at your whole fruits and making sure you've got good protein, good fats, um, you can't really go wrong. And there's certainly no need, and I know I'm going to get to like totally vilified for this, but you, there's no nutrient um, deficiency there if you're avoiding those grains. There's absolutely not. And we will certainly post all of the resources online so you can see all of the naturally occurring, um, you know, vitamins and minerals that you're going to get from all of those things as well. So just remember your like timeless health principles um, and that just because it's gluten-free does not make it healthy, but also avoiding gluten will also not be dangerous for your health if you take good care of yourself. Yeah, perfect. And I think it's so simple to avoid some of these things. It's so tempting to say, but yeah, but what do I make a cake from now? Look, I'm starting to turn people towards raw food recipes as well. There's some brilliant scenarios there that you can make some really interesting stuff um, and it doesn't require grains. You can look at paleo recipes. Uh, they're also, you know, mostly you'll find them if they're true, true paleo, they'll be grain eliminating. So um, there's lots of stuff there. Do turn packets over. You know, if you are buying packets of stuff, please turn it over. Please pay attention to what's on that packet. Make sure that just because it's gluten-free and the marketing makes it look good and it's got a nice green label and all sorts of things, um, just have a look at the other ingredients in there. Do, does that packet make it healthful? How many processes in a factory process has it gone through before it gets to mm-hmm. that box in your hand? So, um, yeah, I think that's the key generally is to say you can have a gluten-free diet. You don't need grains in that diet. Um, it's a great way of reducing inflammation in the body, incredible way of improving gut function as well, even though they say you need it for some prebiotic function and some uh, fermentation there. But, look, you can lose weight, you know, feel great, increase your energy just by going grain-free. Awesome. All right, ladies, we would love to hear what your experience has been with gluten-free foods. 
Or have you also got any rebuttal from your friends or family if you've decided to go for a lower grain or gluten-free type diet? Um, so please communicate with us on our social media channels. So facebook.com forward slash the wellness women. Uh, Instagram is underscore the wellness women. Uh, make sure you're communicating with us on our website as well, which is the wellnesswomen.com.au. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what topics you want to hear about as well. Um, we're getting emails every single day and they're so, so great. So we're going to try and get to them as soon as we can. Um, make sure you leave us a five-star rating on iTunes because it really does make a difference. And we love that. Um, not just because, you know, I'm all about the, <laughs> the five-star ratings, but we do appreciate it. And we love your ratings as well. Um, and ladies, until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.